Our scripture this morning is found in Matthew chapter 11. And while you turn there, well, let's once again give our senior adult choir a hand. Our senior adult choir meets every Tuesday morning at 9.30 in the choir room. And they sing about an hour. They have a really good time. And two Tuesdays out of that month, they go and do mission work at uh, Gadsden Regional Hospital and also at the Cherokee Village and Center. Rhonda, thank you. It was wonderful this morning. And it's always great when your narrator has that deep South Georgia drawl. Distinctive there, buddy. Enjoyed that. Let's read Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. As we continue our journey through Advent, we've been looking a lot at John the Baptist and his proclamation of Jesus as the coming king and his prophecies. Today, we will see Jesus send a message back to John the Baptist about the fulfillment of those prophecies. But let's read these verses. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, <clears throat> Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before you, before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women that has arisen, no one, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Have you ever had a moment of just complete disillusionment and disappointment? A moment where you have been waiting for something, you've been expecting something, and you have been building it up in your mind and maybe in your heart, and then it gets to that moment, and you're just completely disillusioned and disappointed. And when Bree and I uh, first started dating, we didn't have a lot in common. There's an age difference between us. Um, I married a young woman because I wanted somebody to take care of me when I'm older. Um, and so uh, I, there was not a lot we had there. Music and food was what we had in common, so we ate a lot. Um, now, we were dating, and a couple that we were friends with had gotten married. They invited us to their home to eat, and they were gonna, we were going to go to their home and eat, and then we were going to go out and uh, go somewhere, I think putt-putt golf or bowling or something like that. So we are just really looking forward to this. I had moved into an apartment, and so I didn't, wasn't at home getting a lot of good home-cooked meals anymore. So we were looking forward to going to this house and having this nice home-cooked meal and then going out on a date afterwards. And so we go and we, we go to the, the couple's house and we talk to them for a few minutes and we sit and chit-chat and I can smell food cooking in the kitchen. So we go in to sit down at the table and I'm just sitting there thinking, boy, this, I'm, I'm looking forward to this meal. I've been looking forward to this meal all day. 
can't wait to see what we have to eat. I didn't ask. I didn't want to be rude and say, hey, what are we eating? But they sit down there in the middle of the table. They, they sit down this big pan, and I look, and I don't recognize what it is. And the, 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 the wife there says, well, I hope y'all like tater tot casserole. And I was like, well, never had it, but we'll see. And so I'm still, I'm waiting. They sit that down there, and I'm still sitting there waiting. I don't pick up my fork and knife or anything because I'm waiting on the main dish, you know. I'm waiting on the pork chops or the chicken or something that goes along with it. I'm waiting on the good stuff to get there on the table. And they sit down, and they start dipping into tater tot casserole, and I look at Bree, and Bree's kind of kicking me under the table like, don't say anything. And so I'm sitting there, and I, 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 I know y'all looking at me like, how could you be disappointed? But I'm, I'm sitting there. I, I've never had tater tot casserole in my life. And I'm picking at it, and I'm thinking, man, this is horrible. Now, if you may make the best tater tot casserole in the world, and I'm not trying to offend you, but I am just completely disappointed and disillusioned, and all that my, my mind is thinking is, when are we going to be finished here, and when are we going to get finished with this, uh, wherever we're going, bowling or putt-putt golf or whatever it was we're going to do, when is this all going to be over with so that I can get something to eat? And so Bree and I, we go and, and we, we make it through the evening. We tell them we had a wonderful time. We go back to their home. We drop them off, tell them we had a wonderful time, and boom. It's late, there's nothing left, we hit the huddle house. But maybe you've had that moment, maybe you had a moment of disillusionment, maybe you had a moment of uh, disappointment this way. Um, how many of you have ever known a Christian who became disillusioned? Um, Matthew chapter 13, just a couple of chapters over, Jesus will give the parable of the sower. And he will talk about a Christian who becomes disillusioned one who is the, the seed is sown on rocky ground and there's no root that comes and they endure for a while and then trial, tribulation, or persecution comes up and that person falls away. They become disillusioned at the first moment of trial, tribulation, or persecution and they begin to move away. John the Baptist, this great prophet who Jesus is going to make one of the greatest proclamations about any, of any man that, that he talks about is in a moment of kind of doubt, disillusionment, and he's kind of disturbed over what he's hearing and seeing. He's in a prison, and he's worried about what's happening outside while he's in prison. And so he begins to have a little bit of doubt and disillusionment here about what he was expecting the coming Messiah to be, and over what he's hearing and seeing out in the world. Now in the early first century when Jesus lived, everyone in Israel had these great expectations of who the Messiah was going to be. This chosen one who would come into the world. And most of the people, a lot of the people, had this militant portrait in their mind. They, everywhere that they looked here in Palestine, they saw the symbols of Rome and of Caesar. And how Caesar was a great and powerful military leader and a great and powerful politician. And so they had this image in their mind that this Messiah would come and he would have great military might. And he would have lead a political revolution and he would bring a new exodus for God's people. 
from the bondage of this Roman rule that they're under. Now, others expected the Messiah to be, whether he was a military man or not, they expected him to be a holy man. They expected him to, to come in righteousness and proclaim God's judgment on evildoers. They wanted him to proclaim judgment on the Romans and the Greeks and the barbarians. And they even wanted him to proclaim judgment on the unrighteous Jews, like Matthew the tax collector, who's writing these words that we read this morning. So John the Baptist and his disciples would probably fall into the second group here. Matthew's gospel talks about three occasions about John the Baptist. There, there's the occasion we're talking about here in chapter 11. There is the occasion in chapter 14 where there's the gruesome murder of John the Baptist. And then there's chapter 3 where we were just not long ago where we were first introduced to John as he's baptizing in the wilderness and preaching repentance. Now, from all these texts, we know this. John preached hellfire and brimstone. Somebody coming into the sanctuary this morning told me, Michael, you can preach fire and brimstone this morning because it was really cold in my Sunday school classroom. But John's complete message was fire and brimstone and judgment and repentance. And here's what John was expecting. John the Baptist was expecting Jesus, the Messiah, who he had baptized, he was expecting Jesus to pick up that same mantle of, of preaching and he was expecting Jesus to judge the lawbreakers and to judge the people like King Herod who had John the Baptist in this prison and who would later take John's head in a beheading. John felt like it should be the other way around, that Herod should be in jail and he should be out preaching with Jesus. So we see here in verse number 3, John the Baptist, the prophet, asked a question about Jesus. Now, John is probably fine with the fact that Jesus is a healer and Jesus is a savior. And he was fine with Jesus having the power to conquer demons and diseases and sin. But in, in verse number 2 and 3, John, it seems, is looking at Jesus and saying, Okay, those things are wonderful, but where is the justice and judgment that we've been waiting all this time for? And, and John is, is thinking about what he has preached to the people, how he warned them that if they didn't bear fruit with repentance, that the axe was going to be laid to the root of their tree. And now John is in prison, and he's soon going to die for proclaiming God's righteousness and proclaiming that there is a coming Messiah. And John is wondering, Jesus, where is this axe that I preached about, and when are you going to start swinging it? and taking out judgment on these people. Now think about, put yourself in John's shoes for just a minute. Sitting in a prison, and you're thinking about all the scriptures that you know, and you're thinking about how the prophets had told wh how, what you to expect. And you're thinking about how you know that in the scriptures there's a year of jubilee, that every seventh year all the debts are forgiven, the slaves are set free, all the wrongs are righted, and everybody lives in harmony during that year. Now what John is expecting is, is there to be a jubilee that lasts forever, and that Jesus was the Messiah who was going to bring that, and he's expecting to hear these things in prison. John is the most righteous of all the righteous men who are living, 
and he has been in prison in months with the, uh, in the prison of the most murderous scoundrel of his whole day. He is in the prison of the least righteous, of the unrighteous men. And while he's in prison, out there outside of prison, Jesus is being the friend to lawbreakers. Jesus is not acting in John's mind. Jesus is not acting like God's son, but he's acting like the son, the rebellious son in Deuteronomy that Moses spoke of. Jesus is out with people who eat too much and drink too much. And Jesus is, is with these people, and John is hearing about this, and not only is Jesus eating and drinking with these people, but it's even worse, he's eating and drinking with people who are tax collectors and sinners and political traitors and moral traitors, like Matthew, who was a tax collector. So, again, put yourself in John's mind, and you get these thoughts that are going through your mind. Like, what is Jesus doing surrounding himself with these four fishermen and making them his inner circle, and then telling them your mission is to go out and catch men for salvation, not to judge men and, and, and proclaim judgment on them. And this puzzles John. And then what about this Sermon on the Mount that John has heard about? And Jesus' opening statements there that it is blessed to be a peacemaker, and if you're a peacemaker, you're going to be called the son of God. And what's with this idea of loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us? Don't you understand, Jesus? I'm in this prison, and I want to see those people overthrown and taken out, and I want to see God's righteousness, uh, God's wrath poured out on those people. And, and here's what John has to be thinking. Why is Jesus in Galilee with these backwards people? And why is he not in Jerusalem, which is the center of, of everything? Why is Jesus not there proclaiming these things and doing what needs to be done there? And it's fine to heal people, Jesus. But why those people? Why do good to the people who are so bad to us? Healing a leper is a wonderful thing. But Jesus, why would you heal a Roman centurion servant after the way the Romans have treated us? Saving a crippled person from sin is wonderful, but why would you shame us by saving a prostitute from her sins also? So Jesus is hearing in John is hearing in prison, and he's hearing about the deeds of Jesus Christ, and so he sends word to Jesus. And he says, are you the one who is to come, the Messiah, or shall we look for another? Now, doesn't that seem strange? Who baptized Jesus? John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Do you think that John the Baptist heard as God the Father spoke over Jesus? Do you think John the Baptist heard those words? Do you think that John the Baptist, did, who, who, what did John proclaim, proclaim Jesus to be? The Lamb of what? The Lamb of God who takes away what? Sins of the world. John said those things. John the Baptist proclaimed those things. And now, all of a sudden, we see John the Baptist disillusioned and disappointed in how things are going outside of the prison 
And he asked a very straightforward question of Jesus. And Jesus likes straightforward questions. It's a question that shows John has honest confusion about what's going on, and he has reservations about how Jesus is doing things. Now, John's not like any other prophet, a great prophet who'd come before him. We see Elijah in the Old Testament who had just come off of the greatest victory that we see in the Old Testament after defeating the prophets of Baal. And now, later on, we see Elijah sitting by a brook and asking God to take his life. We see Jeremiah cursing the day he was born because all he ever got to do was preach doom upon God's people. And now we see John, who is in a moment of misery and misunderstanding, and he has some honest misgivings about what's going on. So now we see Jesus answer this prophet. With a loving correction, Jesus graciously answers him. He says in verse 4 and 5, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. John is saying in essence, Jesus says in essence back to John, Tell John not to feel slighted about what I'm doing out here. Tell him he can trust me I'm the one, I'm the right person. I'm who you have been looking for. And so now, Jesus gives John the Baptist validation, and he does it through Scripture. Jesus' ministry is in line with all the the prophetic promises that John the Baptist knew about salvation and about the Messiah who was to come. Jesus tells him these things. Isaiah, in in Isaiah chapter 29, Isaiah says the blind will receive sight. In Matthew chapter 9, John knows that the blind receives sight. Isaiah says in Isaiah 35, 6, that the lame will walk. Jesus will make, we see the example in Matthew chapter 15 of Jesus making the lame walk. Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 4, that the lepers would be cured. In Matthew 8, 1 through 4, we see that. Isaiah 29 says that the deaf will hear. In Mark chapter 7, we see this. And then Jesus said that in Isaiah 26, 18, the dead would be raised. And in Matthew 10, we see that. And then finally, in Isaiah 67, Isaiah proclaimed that the good news would be preached to the poor. And in Matthew chapter 5, we see Jesus preaching to the poor. So Jesus, his deeds prove that everything that was said about the Messiah in the Old Testament, Jesus has come and fulfilled, and that the prophesied time of salvation has come, and it is the year of the Lord's favor. So here's what we know this morning. Jesus is the expected king, and he comes and establishes a reign that shows the compassionate and restoring power of the rule of God. But still some people take offense at this because Jesus is the friend of tax collectors and sinners and they weren't expecting this of Jesus. But guess what? Who knew that they were in need of a Savior? Who knew that they were in need of a Messiah? Tax collectors and sinners. What did Jesus say? I didn't come for who? 
Who? I didn't come for the righteous, but for who? I came, yeah. Jesus said, I came for those who are in need. Now, what should we be here this morning? What should we, we should be here for those who are in need of knowing that they need a Savior. And bringing them in and teaching them the Word of God and showing them how to find forgiveness and restoration that God freely offers through the gospel. So, Jesus finally makes a great statement. Let me ask you this. What's the nicest thing that's ever been said about you? Can you think about the nicest thing that's ever been said about you? Maybe at a retirement party, somebody had a retirement party for you and people gathered around and said a lot of nice things about you. Maybe at a birthday party, maybe you had a 40th, 30th, or 40th, or 50th birthday party and everybody was there and they all said nice things to you or a wedding anniversary and people said nice things about you. You think you remember those things that they said? I think the nicest thing that anyone has said to me since I've been here was uh, one day I was walking through the kitchen and Miss Robbie Smith was in the kitchen and she looked at me in the eye and she said, I ain't found nothing wrong with you yet. I said, thank you, Miss Robbie. I appreciate it. No matter what anybody ever says about you, what Jesus says about John the Baptist here it's probably the greatest statement, the greatest proclamation of praise of any man who ever lived because it's coming from the mouth of God. Look at verses 7 through 11. The, John's disciples have left. They went away. Jesus began to speak to the crowd concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see, a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Now listen to this. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's a big statement. And God himself is making this statement. He's saying no one who has ever been born, is as, uh, born of a woman is as great as John the Baptist. Now, his disciples are probably within earshot of hearing this. And they probably get to go back and tell John what Jesus says about him. Now, about this. Look at John's doubt and how Jesus takes it away. And there's two things that we want to look at this morning. First, if the best born of all women in the world has a period of doubt concerning Jesus, do you think that you and I are subject to ever having a bout with doubt? Yeah. Jesus has just proclaimed that John the Baptist is the greatest man who has ever been born, and yet he is in a prison, in a dungeon, and he is having doubts about what Jesus is doing. 
Have you ever been in that situation? Where you, maybe you weren't physically in a dungeon, but you were in a place in life where you felt like it was hopeless, and it was, you felt like that you were alone, and you were wondering why I've I've given my life to Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm working in the church, I'm doing these things, and yet I'm suffering and I'm, I'm going through these trials and tribulations. Happened to John the Baptist. It can happen to any of us. A lot of times we are waiting and, and we're, we're telling, we're, we're praying and we're asking God to take this burden away instead of praying as in James uh when he said that as we go through these things that we should give God praise as we're going through them because they are building through us patience and endurance and growing us spiritually. So if we do have doubts, then maybe we should be like John. Maybe uh, John is experiencing hardship. Maybe we should see doubt as John did. Because John had a faithful doubt. He had an I'll give Jesus the benefit of the doubt. Doubt. John sent his disciples to ask Jesus. John's question. Because his expectations weren't being met. And who he thought Jesus was. Was not aligning with his own personal experience. But here's the fact. Who did he go to for answers? Did he send his, did John the Baptist send his disciples down to the synagogue to ask the priest to go back through the records of the Old Testament, the Torah, and to look and see, hey, isn't the Messiah supposed to do these things? Jesus is here, and I thought he was the Messiah, but now he's doing things differently than what I expected. Priest, can you give me the answer? No, John sent his people straight to Jesus to get the answer because he knew where to go and he sent them in faith and they went on his behalf. Now, here's my advice this morning. If you don't get anything else out of this, listen to this. When you are in this place where John the Baptist was in and when you may find yourself in this place doubting Jesus, here's what I want you to do. Keep going to Jesus and go to him over and over and over and over again and don't stop going to him. Go to him daily. Go to him nightly. Go to him three, four times a day and pray and ask him, Lord, help my unbelief. Because Jesus looks at John the Baptist and he sees who he is And he sends this answer back to him. And now he contrasts human birth. He says, John was born of a woman. But those of you who are a part of this new birth, who've been born into the kingdom of heaven, you are greater than John. You understand what I'm saying this morning? Jesus Christ said, John the Baptist is the greatest man who's ever lived, born of a woman. But if you have been born of this new birth that I am offering, if you come through me, 
you're even greater than John the Baptist because you have accepted on faith and through grace my forgiveness. A couple of you got that. We have a greater privilege. We have a greater privilege here this morning. John the Baptist, listen to me. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. He baptized him. He spoke about Jesus. You and I have a greater privilege this morning because we have accepted what John saw with his eyes. We have accepted by faith what we haven't seen and we have taken part in a new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now in verses 2 through 6, John had doubts and Jesus gave him a cure for those doubts. Jesus took John through the scriptures in Isaiah and said, John, you know these better than anyone. You know the scripture better than anyone who's walking today. And I'm going to walk you through these scriptures. And I'm going to show you what I am doing and what I have done. You make the decision, John. And Jesus gives these extremely positive comments about John. And John, here's what John listened to. John listened to the word. He listened to the word of God. He knew the verses in Isaiah that Jesus was talking about. And he knew that Jesus' works were in accordance with what Isaiah had said in the word. And though John will never get out of the depth of this dungeon, he will meet, in just three short chapters, he will meet death by Herod through beheading. He did get out of this depth of doubt. And he did die knowing that his hope was in the right place. It was in King Jesus. Jesus just hadn't done things the way that John thought they should be done. And guess what? Jesus isn't doing things this morning the way we think he ought to do them. Because he's the sovereign ruler of this universe. And he can do what he wants to do. And guess what? We better accept it. So where does our hope lie this morning? Are you weary? And are you in a place where you would say, I just, I'm, I'm weary and I'm troubled and I'm in trial and I'm going through things that I never thought I would go through. Just a few short verses after Jesus makes this declaration about John the Baptist. He says this to this crowd. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is your burden heavy this morning? Jesus said his burden is light. Are your troubles heavy this morning? Jesus said, give those troubles to me, and I'll give you rest from those troubles. Are you here this morning, and life is just not what you thought it was going to be? Maybe you followed Jesus, and, and you, you, have, you know you have forgiveness of your sins, you've repented, all those things, and yet you're struggling, and you're having trial and tribulation. Jesus said, take those things and give them to me. 1 Peter 5, 7, 
Simon Peter said, cast your cares, cast your cares upon him. And when he said cast, he meant take them and throw them as far as you can. During this Christmas season, we'll exchange gifts, we'll give and take from other people. Let me tell you the greatest exchange you can make this morning is to take that package and bundle of trouble and trials and tribulations that you have and lay them at the feet of Jesus. And say, here they are, Lord, just as you said. I'm going to take them and I'm going to give them to you. And I'm going to take from you a lighter burden. It's going to happen overnight. A lot of times it doesn't. But like I said a minute ago, you keep going to Jesus. And you go to Jesus every day and every night. And all throughout the day. And you pray in faith. And you watch what God does in your life. You're here this morning. And you've never begun a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now would be the perfect time for you to start that relationship. And to know him through the forgiveness of your sins. John knew him face to face. John the Baptist saw Jesus face to face. He believed. It's a much better thing, a much greater thing to have never seen Jesus physically but to have faith in his death, burial, and resurrection and to know that you have a home in God's kingdom of heaven. Let's pray as you stand. Father, thank you this morning for the opportunity to look at Scripture and to learn from Scripture and to grow from Scripture. Thank you, Father, for all that you say and speak to us through your word. Father, I pray this morning that if there are those here who need to take this to heart, that they will. During this time of reflection and worship, and that they would take this to heart and give those burdens and cares to you. Give their doubts and worries and fears to you. And Father, I pray for those who may be here who don't know Christ as Savior, that they would come and publicly declare, I want to know Jesus. Maybe they need to follow in believers' baptism or church membership. Whatever it is they need to do, give them the courageous conviction to follow through. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.